Good morning. It's good to see you today. I'm glad that you're here with us. We are jumping into Ephesians chapter 3, continuing our walk through the book of Ephesians. And so that's in uh, your bulletin notes, or if you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices, however you want to do it. And I'm actually going to back us up into the uh, last few verses of chapter 2. So if you're turning on a device or something, you just want to go ahead and go to the end of chapter 2, that'll be fine too. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a second. I'm also today supposed to be your announcement video. <laughs> so, most of the stuff, if you will read through uh, just the information in your bulletin there, you can see that. But the main thing we want to talk about is next Sunday. We've got just kind of a big day with several things going on next Sunday and wanted you uh, just to be looking forward to that and preparing for that. First of all, we're finishing Ephesians 3 today. And we've had this really big prayer in chapter 1 that Paul wrote, and then we've got another big prayer here at the end of chapter 3. And so we wanted to take next Sunday uh, to set aside as a time for us to pray together through these two prayers, just corporately as a body when we gather on Sunday morning. So we're going to have a prayer service next Sunday morning. And what we're going to do is we'll walk through like the first section, starting in chapter 1, the first section of that prayer, talk about it for a minute, and then we're going to spend some time praying exactly what it says there in the Bible, just praying together um, silently in groups, however you want to do it. And then we'll walk through the next section and pray through that together and the next section and pray through that together. And then we'll also have just some times of worship and praise interspersed. It'll be Bible prayer song, probably Bible prayer song like that. Just wanted you to know what the morning's going to be, but just a time for us to come together as a church and to say these prayers that are in the Bible, like prayers that God inspired Paul to pray for the church. Let's pray those things together. Let's pray those things for each other, for the church, that God would be doing the very things that he led Paul to pray for the church. And so that's going to be next Sunday morning. And we're asking if this works for you, and I know health-wise you may need something different, but that all of us would come into that prayer service fasting together as well. Um, and fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that the purpose of it is we're just saying for a little while, we want to do something really intentionally and deliberately to focus on God and our need for God. Uh, a physical illustration of a spiritual reality. And basically what we're saying when we fast together is, God, we need you more than we need food. <laughs> we're hungrier for you to do something and to move and work in spiritual power than we are for food. Uh, and from the thought of man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so a couple of options for next Saturday into Sunday. If you want to eat lunch on Saturday and then fast with us into Sunday morning, by the time we gather, we'll be at about a 24-hour fast together. Um, if you've never fasted before and that seems really long to you, if you want to eat dinner Saturday evening and then start your fast, you know, you'll still probably be in about an 18-hour fast just the rest of Saturday evening, fast breakfast Sunday morning. But just something that as you start to feel hunger in your stomach, the goal is that it would be a kind of a prompt an illustration of, I need to be this hungry for God. And each time that you would feel hungry, you just stop and pray. Pray for our church. Pray for God, what God wants to do. Ask him to lead us and show us. And so if you want to come in, and obviously it's not a requirement for next Sunday morning, you're welcome here either way. But if you want to come in fasting with us corporately, and then we'll pray together. Um, just one practical detail you may be wondering about. We won't have the donuts sitting out before the service just so it's not a temptation for you. We will have donut holes for the kids 
so that you don't have to worry about breakfast. If you want your kids to fast with you, that's great, but donut holes will be up in the children's wing, and then we are going to have donuts after service, so we're not shortchanging you, all right? But um, at the end of the service, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together and break our fast that way, just reminding ourselves that Jesus is the one that nourishes us and sustains us. So a prayer fasting service ending with the Lord's Supper and then donuts afterward. And also afterward is our first Q&A session. Um, We're going to start doing this once a month, the fourth Sunday of each month. If you'd like to stay afterwards, and you may have questions from the past month of sermons and teaching times that you want to talk through, it'll be a time for that where we can dialogue a little more and you can bring up questions that you haven't brought up in here. But then also what we're really hoping grows out of that Q&A time each month is that God will be raising up some leaders and creating some more community groups in our church. Um, just some of you saying, yeah, I'm ready to take the step, and I want, I want to lead a group where we study the Bible this way each week together or every other week together. And I wanted to say thank you, because some of you have already contacted us and said, hey, I'm ready to get into a community group, or I'm ready to start a community group. And so thank you for already taking that step. We're praying that God will give us 10 new groups this fall for people to be connected to and really plugged in and start sharing life together and studying the Bible together. And so if it helps you to know this is going to be a resource every month, that if you're thinking about leading a community group and you're afraid, hey, I'm going to get into this and people are going to have questions I can't answer, that's okay. Like, first of all, it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's keep looking at the Bible. Like, that's the first best answer. Is let's just keep, let's read together and pray together and see what God says to us. But then secondly, if you say, hey, once a month we've got this opportunity where we can ask these questions and get some answers, and so we'll keep working on that and we'll circle back around to it. Just if that makes it a little easier for you to take that step and say, yeah, I want to start one of these groups. I want to lead one of these groups. We hope that it grows out of that. And then also, this Q&A thing is going to be really, really informal. It's whatever would be helpful to you. And so if you come with other questions about the church in general, about the way we study the Bible on Sunday mornings, just things you'd like to talk through, this is going to be the place for that. If you want to come for 15 minutes, come for 15 minutes. If you want to come for an hour, come for an hour. I'll hang around and we'll talk. Uh, Miss Teresa is going to have the kids on the playground, and we're going to have pizza for anybody that stays and for the kids. So it would help us if you'll sign up on the connection card there in your bulletin. That way we know how many people to plan for, both in terms of food and in terms of child care. But even if you don't sign up and you hang around, we want you to do that. So that's that part of it. We're going to roll one other thing into that fourth Sunday moving forward. Um, With the current situation just economically in our country, the food bank, for us to stock it, is getting a lot more expensive week in and week out. And also the need that people have is, has increased a lot in the past few months. And so we want to be a little more intentional about encouraging the church um, just to bring food items that we need. We, we always put that in your notes, and it's in there right now. You can look at the list. But we're going to try to keep some grocery carts out there in the front so you can just drop stuff in on your way if you want to. And so we're asking you next Sunday to really, for us to make a focused effort. We're fasting so you don't need anything for food Saturday night, so you can bring that, right? Um, But whatever you want to bring and drop in the grocery carts, you can see the stuff that we really need. And we're going to try to just keep that as a visual reminder that we can keep that stocked and keep meeting needs in the community in a really practical way. And so kind of rolling all that together for next Sunday, and I just want to say it all out loud instead of making you listen to it on a video. I know sometimes it's hard to run through it all. Anything that I said that you're like, what did he say? You can listen later this week or you can just read it in your bulletin today because it's all in there. I also got an update this week from Faith and Miguel Saxara. 
our missionary partners in Peru. Uh, you know that Darren Foster and I went down there just a few months ago and got to serve a few days with them. They were here last May to visit with us. Uh, they've been able to start two more of their academies in two of the, the villages that they were trying to reach. So that's 13 academies now that they've got spread out throughout Peru. And um, that's been a big answer to prayer for them this summer. And so for those of you that are praying for them and keeping up with what's going on with them, thank you for that. They were really excited about that piece. They think that they're going to be able to come back to the States and visit some of their partner churches maybe in October. And so I'm hoping there'll be a Sunday when they're here with us and can share with us some. And I'm pushing on Miguel to teach for us that day. Um, Spanish is his first language, or second language, really. Quechua is his first language. Spanish is his second language. English is his third language. And so you can imagine, like, some of you are like, I couldn't do this in my first language. Um, I, I feel that way most weeks. But I'm working on him. I think he's going to teach for us that week. But if you'll be praying for him, um, whatever Sunday that is that ends up here, I think it would be a great morning for us just to hear from them and, and just pray that he'd be encouraged in that and willing to do that. But those are the main updates for today. I may circle back to some of it at the end. But as we walk through Ephesians 3, we're going to do what we always do. I'm going to read this chapter. We're going to ask, what's this teach about God? Like the main things that stand out to you. I'm going to pray in just a minute, ask the Spirit to be showing us those things. And then we'll talk about if these things are true about God, what's it mean for us, for us as a church in our lives. And there's some really big stuff in this chapter as far as our view of the church and how God uses the church and his purpose for the church that I want us to see this morning. But before we jump into that, I want us to start by just kind of looking at the structure of this chapter. And we don't do that a lot of times, but this is a different chapter, and I want to point out something sort of fun about it. So we're going to start there. I'm going to talk about it for a minute, and then I'll, ask you the quest I'll read it and ask you the questions. So just a little bit different. Let's pray right now. I'll show you what I mean, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this time right now. We need you to speak to us and teach us as only you can. And so, Father, we ask you to teach us by your Spirit from your Word. We are dependent on you for that. We trust you for that, and we come to you for that. Father, I pray that right now this would be your words, not mine and not ours, your thoughts, not mine and not ours, your strength and your power, not mine and not ours. Your wisdom, not mine, not ours. That this would be by your spirit, not by our effort or might or ability. Stir up inside of us the type of faith that really does look to you and depend on you and trust you and receives from you the things that only you can give. I ask you for that right now because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, and I ask it in his name. Amen. All right. So in your notes, you're starting in chapter 3, but if you want to go ahead and put this up on the screen here, I've got three down here a little bit farther on my notes because when we start in chapter 3, we've got this, for this reason is the phrase Paul starts with. And so obviously when we're starting chapter 3 and Paul says, for this reason, he's referring back to stuff that he just said. And one of the hardest things about the fact that we gather for a certain amount of time and no matter where we would break stuff, we always have to break it somewhere to be. And some of you may think, well, you already don't break it. You take these huge chunks and you talk forever. 
but we still, like, we did all of chapter 2 last week. But the deal is Paul didn't sit down and write this letter and write chapter 1 and break it up into 23 verses and then write chapter 2 and break it up into 22. Like, he didn't write chapter numbers in it. He didn't write verse numbers. We've added that later to help us reference things, and it is a helpful thing. But sometimes it can break up things that are really closely connected in terms of the thoughts that are in the Bible. Paul sat down and he wrote a letter to a church, an entire letter. And when they got it, they read it out loud as an entire letter. You know, the way, I would say the way that we write letters today, but we don't write letters today. And so then I would say the way we write emails today, but we don't write emails today. So it's like the way that you send texts or post on Facebook or post on Instagram, you write your sentences and your paragraphs and you put it all out there and it's all together. That's the way that he wrote Ephesians. Our time constraints and me talking too much about every chapter makes it really hard for us to try to cover the entire letter in one Sunday morning. And it is good to break it down and digest it in pieces, but it's also important to come back and take those pieces and remember that they all connect and how they connect to the whole. And so when anytime you're studying the Bible on your own and you see a chapter start with something like, for this reason, or therefore, or because of this, or consequently, like any kind of phrase or word like that that connects to what came before, just remind yourself, this is just the continuation of what we've been looking at. This is the same flow of thought. And so what is this reason? What's Paul talking about at the end of chapter 2 that leads to chapter 3? I wanted to remind us real quickly where we were last week, in case you weren't here or in case you've forgotten, because I know that's really easy to do in seven days. And so I just grabbed a few verses here from the end of chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Paul had said, And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, and by that he means the Gentiles, which are the non-Jews, the people that hadn't been Israel, the national people of God in the Old Testament. They hadn't received the Bible through the prophets as the spoken word of God. They'd been really far from God, really pagan, really irreligious. And Jesus comes to these people who the religious people thought, those aren't the people of God. They're written off. They're the terrible sinners. God doesn't want to have anything to do with them. He's chosen us. We're the holy people. They're not. And Jesus comes to those irreligious, pagan, far off people from God, and he preaches peace to them and draws them near to God. That Jesus came for them. And peace to those who were near. And so this would be the Jews, the religious. And so you've got the non-Jews and the Jews. The religious and the irreligious. And Jesus came for all of them. That Jesus came that everyone would come to know God and have peace with God and be in a relationship with God. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Whatever your background has been, whether you've been raised in church or this is the first time you've ever been to church, whether you know the Bible cover to cover or you couldn't tell us one book in the Bible, whether you have tried to live a really good moral life and on the outside you look like a really religious, upstanding person, or whether you have lived a really reckless life that on the outside looks way more scandalous, it does not matter. Like The same message is the same for all of us. That all of us need Jesus to make us right with God. That none of us have achieved that on our own. None of us can work our way to God or behave our way to God or earn our way to God. And Jesus came for everyone. And nobody's disqualified. Based on your background, based on your religious understanding, based on what you've done or haven't done, you're not disqualified. That it's all based on who Jesus is and whether you know him or not. Whether you believe him. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And then in verse 22, In him you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So that God has taken these people that look really religious, and God's taken these people that look really irreligious, and he's making them into one people, the people of God. That this is what the church is. People that have looked really good on the outside, but have been tempted toward pride and self-reliance, and have trusted in themselves instead of trusting in Jesus, that Jesus has come and said, you need me. You need me to rescue you. You need Nothing that you have done, your best efforts, the best things that you offer God aren't good enough, and you will never get to him on your own. You need Jesus. And then Jesus has come to these people who've totally blown it and have given up and think, I'm too far gone, there's no hope for me. Or the people that just say, I don't care, I don't want to do it that way, I don't care what God says, I don't care who God is, I don't even care if God's real. And Jesus has come to them and he said, you need me. You're not too far gone. You haven't blown it too much. I am enough to take you to the Father. I can make you right with the Father. And he grabs all these people who look really, really different from different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities, different religious backgrounds, different religious traditions, different failures, different mistakes. They've blown it in different ways. They've relied on themselves in different ways. They've trusted themselves in different ways. All the things they've done wrong. All these, just this whole spectrum of people. And he grabs them and he wraps them in his arms and he says, you're my people. You're my family. If you believe in me, I'm the one who defines you now. Your identity is found in me, and you all, if you believe in me, you all share that identity, and you're one family, and you're one body, and God's calling this family and this body the church. Made up of people that what they share is Jesus. What they share is the gospel. What they share is the type of faith that finally brought them to the place that said, I can't rely on myself. I can't do this myself. I'm not enough. I'll never get there on my own, but I believe that Jesus has and Jesus will. I believe that what Jesus has done is for me and it's enough for me and my hope is in him. And anybody else that believes that, I'm united with them. They're my brothers and my sisters because we're all in the same place together. That's what God's creating in the church. And when Paul writes this, it's a really drastic thing because a lot of those really religious people, the Jews who'd behaved well and looked well and had the word of God and knew the word of God, they thought there's no way that anybody but us could ever get to God. And Jesus comes and he shatters like all of their self-confidence and self-reliance and their religious pride and their self-righteousness. And he's like, it's not just that they can get to God because of me. You can't get to God without me. What you've done is not enough. You are them. You need me just as much as they do. You're all in the same boat, and you'll all come to God the same way. That's for this reason. God's doing this literally worldwide, epic, historical work in Jesus where he's opening up his kingdom to all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. That he's welcoming anyone in who will come in Jesus. And he's taking all the worldly distinctions and human differences and he's bringing them all together and saying this will be one people. I will make one family, one united body in my church. And so Paul says, for this reason, like because this is the work that God's doing, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and I want you to notice what happens right here. And I'll just tell you, this makes me feel so good about Sunday mornings. Paul's about to say something And Paul gets distracted, and Paul chases a rabbit from verse 2 all the way down, I can't even mark it all, through verse 7, 
verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. Still going, still chasing this rabbit. Verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. And then watch, just, just so you know, it's really what happens. Verse 14, he finally comes back to, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's going to end in a prayer here. But I just want you to see, he meant to pray up here. <laughs> like this is the, hey, I'm wrapping things up. Here's our closing prayer. Oh, hang on, we're going 10 more minutes. So listen, biblical basis right here for what I do every single week. And you all are wondering, why is he still talking? Because Paul couldn't be, like if Paul can't be quiet, you got to say what he says here, right? This is like Holy Spirit inspired ADHD. If that makes you feel better. I mean, really. Like the Spirit inspired him to write. And he's like, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And he's about to pray for them. But he realizes he said something right here where he's like, oh, I, I really do, in order for you to really get the full effect of what I'm saying, I better explain something. And so he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And he's like, but do you know that? Like, do you know how specifically God has come after you? Like, you people, the non-Jews who supposedly weren't the people of God, who were far off and pagan and irreligious, and you weren't even, you weren't even looking for God through what he, like he had revealed himself in the Old Testament. He had spoken. He had created his people. And you're not even looking for him. And he came and found you. He sent somebody to find you. It's what he's saying. Because that's verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And what Paul's saying there is, God came when Paul was a really religious Jew who was so opposed to Christianity and he was so self-righteous and confident in himself that Paul was actually hunting down Christians, arresting them, and then having them put on trial to be murdered for believing in Jesus. And so Paul's not looking for Jesus. Paul's trying to stop Jesus and his church. And God comes to Paul right in the middle of that. Jesus appears to Paul in a blinding light and he calls Paul out of this sinful life of self-righteousness and arrogance and pride and hatred and zeal for his own religious traditions that's not really based on what God has said and who Jesus is, God calls Paul out of all of that. And he says, I'm going to make you an apostle, a missionary sent to the Gentiles, to all the people who aren't Jews, all the people who are far off from me, and I'm going to reach them through you that God intentionally and deliberately says, I want to include all the nations, all peoples in my people. I want them to hear this message. So, so Paul's saying, like, I'm assuming that you know. The only reason I'm writing this letter to you, the only reason I came to you is because Jesus drastically changed my life, but it wasn't just for my sake. He didn't give grace to me for me. It was grace that was given to me for you. That Jesus saved me and changed me so that he would reach you through me. Like This is why you can know him. And so then he goes on for that whole long rabbit trail to trace through what the work that God's been doing that's bigger than just the Jews, this worldwide work that includes everybody in every nation. So that's what we're going to see in the middle there. And then he comes back to the prayer. And so as we read it, I just, I want, you to, I just want you to be aware of like, that's how the thought is flowing. He's going to get to a prayer that's based on this work that God's doing. But first, he kind of backs up. He's like, let me explain to you the work that God's doing, and then we'll pray about it. So that's where we're going. So I want you to read it with me. Start in chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read all of chapter 3. You be listening for what this teach us about God. And then I've got a couple of thoughts at the end 
that I want to share with you that really, really stood out to me this week as we wrap things up. So, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right, that's Ephesians 3. What does that teach us about God? What stands out to you? Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith. We could spend a lot of time right here. I'm going to try to keep myself reeled in um, so that you've got more time to point out more truths and I can say some stuff at the end. But packed into that one sentence that Tyson just gave us right there, is the distinction between Christianity and every other religion in the world, between Christianity and worldly wisdom, between Christianity and the natural way that all of us would try to do whatever we make up our minds to do, that, that your flesh, your, like your natural tendencies, the world and every other religion you know, at its core, like if you, can, if you can really strip everything away and get to the core of what it's saying, everything else in the world, whether it's talking about you achieving for the sake of yourself 
or you achieving for the sake of God, the message is always, you do this so that you can get there. You do this so that you can achieve. You do this so that you can be successful. You work hard. You, you keep the rules. You follow the rules. Or even you break the rules so that you can get to where you want to go or so that you can get to God. Here's what you do for God. Here's what you give to God. Here's God. Here you are. You've got to find a way to Him. Be good enough to get to Him. Work hard enough to get to Him. Give enough to get to Him. Whatever it is. And then Christianity comes with this message of God is going to come to you. You can't get to him. And he's going to come to you. And then he's going to intimately love you and intimately be with you in relationship in such a way that he dwells in you. And your job, if you want to call it that, is not to do things for him or get to him or, or give things to him. Your job is to believe him. Faith is your job. That you believe that he has done it all for you. He offers it all to you. And he comes to live in you. To give it all to you. And that everything you will ever do won't be something you're doing for him. It'll be something he's doing in you. It won't be something that you're giving to him. It's something that he's giving to you. Right? You, you do give things to him, but every single thing you give to him is something he's given to you. You do do things for him, but everything you do for him is something he's already doing in you. That he lives in your heart. There's a supernatural, miraculous, spiritual element to Christianity that distinguishes it from everything else in the world. And it's the fact that this all-powerful, supernatural God comes and lives in you by his spirit, and he changes your heart. From the inside out, he's changing. He's making you a new person. And your job is to believe him. The way that you tap into that and connect to that and receive that, the way that that power and life flows through you is by faith. That you believe the work of Jesus and not yourself. You rely on the work of Jesus and not yourself. You trust the work of Jesus and not your own. You know that it will be by his spirit and not by your effort. And now everything you do is powered by him and not by you. And so Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith. What's another truth that stands out to you? So, verse 10 is where I wanted to park at the end. And there's danger if I park there right now, we're parked the rest of the morning. All right? So, I'll read this. I'll say it out loud in case you're watching online. And then you get maybe 10 minutes if there are other things you want to say first. All right? And, then I'll, and that's for your sake, not for mine, because I would stay to 1230, but I know you all don't want to. All right? So, but this verse, yes. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's been talking about God creating the church, taking from Jews and Gentiles, all types of people, making them one, and that there's this purpose that God has in mind 
that the rulers and authorities in the spiritual realms are going to see God's wisdom through what he's doing in the church. And so I want us to come back to that. Um, because again, like once we get that, I don't know that we're moving on. So just put that on the back burner for 10 minutes if you need it. Do you, any other truths you want to point out? And I'll really try to keep myself restrained because I do, there's so much here. You're, and you're like, when you say it's heavy and it's deep, and I, we're trying to unpack stuff that affects all of reality. Like, this is God saying, here is my eternal purpose for the church, not just in this world, but in all reality. Like the way, the role of the church in the spiritual realms. That's what we're going to be talking about in just a minute. So any, any other truths that stand out to you? Like, well, hey, this is something, we need to say this before we finish up chapter 3. So. Yes, God's ways are a mystery to humanity that we cannot... understand without him revealing them by the Spirit. And I want to show you something real quickly here about both these truths that we've written down so far, because I almost said it with the first one. Now I'm definitely going to say it with the second one. So we were, when I was talking about Jesus dwells in our hearts through faith, how that's distinct from every other way that you would approach things just by natural effort, every other way the world would approach things, or every other way that every other religion would approach things. Do you realize that when we're saying this is a work of Jesus in us, that he comes to live in us and he changes us and he gives us the spiritual things that we need to live out what he's called us to do, that this is the basis for why we pray. Like This is why you and I should be in constant conversation with God. Like This constant acknowledgement of I need you right now. I need your goodness in me. I need your wisdom. I need you to give me the words to say in this conversation. I need your patience. I need your love. I need your kindness. I need your grace. I need you to fill me up with all the things that overflow in you and give them to me because I don't have them. And so it's just this, this is our motivation, our foundation, our basis for living a life of prayer. This is why we would start every week and say, we want to just intentionally come to God and say, we need you to do something in us. We need you to teach. And, and in the same way right here, God's ways are a mystery to humanity that we cannot understand without him revealing. Every time that we pray at the beginning, God, we need you to open our eyes to see this. We need you to do a spiritual work. And you see it multiple times in this passage. Paul starts up here and he's like, hey, when God called me, to be an apostle to you Gentiles, to tell you the gospel, to tell you about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for you and how you can be made right with God. He's like, there was this mystery that was made known to me by revelation. Right? That, that God revealed, it, it was inaccessible to me. He knew the whole Old Testament, right? He, he's this great Pharisee that knows the Bible inside and out, keeping all the rules of the Old Testament. He said, but there was a mystery that in all my human knowledge and human understanding, even my human understanding of the Bible, the whole Bible they had to that point, I couldn't understand this unless God revealed it. There was a spiritual work God had to do. And he said, so now, because God revealed that to me, you can understand why I have insight into the mystery of Christ. Which 
When it wasn't made known, people couldn't see it. But by his holy apostles and prophets, who are the ones who've written the Bible, Old Testament and New, by the Spirit, God has made it known. He's shown us his mysterious work. He's shown us what he's doing. He's connected the dots for us. The things that we never would have figured out on our own, he's telling us. And and you can see this to a certain extent even in human knowledge. You know, a a lot of us, if, if you were like left on your own long enough just to count, like you would eventually figure out one plus one is two. You know, I've got one of these, give me another one, I've got two of those now. Like that level of math. How many of you think that if nobody had ever taken you farther than that, on your own, you eventually would have figured out calculus? <laughs> got one brave one. Because listen, calculus is counterintuitive, Right? Like it doesn't work the way you expect it to work on a whole lot of things. And it's not like you just look at the world and you see that. And so even in human knowledge, there's this place where it's like, I don't have any idea what's going on there that doesn't make any sense to me. I'll never understand it. I'll never figure it out unless somebody shows me. And some of you are like, people can show me calculus and I still don't get it. That's okay too. Like, pick any area of knowledge you want. And there's probably a level that it's like, I can get here, but if I'm going beyond that, somebody's got to take me. Like somebody's got to explain it to me. Somebody's got to teach me. How much more, like the infinite and eternal purposes of God, the things that he has known in his infinite mind from all eternity past, the things he's purposed in his heart and how he's working them out throughout history, that none of us would know the mind of God on our own. None of us would be able to think the thoughts of God. None of us would understand the ways of God. It would be a mystery to us, except he's made it known. He's opened up his mind. He's opened up his heart. He said, here, I'll I'll explain it to you. I'll tell you. I'll show you. And I'll give you my own spirit so that you can understand the things I'm telling you. So this mystery, Paul says, here's the mystery that Jesus revealed to me, is that he's going to accept the Gentiles. (laughs) Like Paul's like, here I was persecuting Jews for following Jesus. And Jesus shows up and he's like, it's not just that I'm happy about the Jews following me. I want the Gentiles to follow me too. And you're going to go get them for me. <laughs> like it's just the, the sense of humor that God has sometimes. Where he's like, you were so angry about Jews following me. Guess what? I'm going to use you to make Gentiles follow me. <laughs> so he's like, here's the mystery he told me. That the Gentiles, the pagans, the irreligious, the far-off sinners, the people that are unholy and dirty and can never be God's people, God's going to make them fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That they get all the promises of God to the people of God. They get all the benefits of being a child of God and an heir with Jesus. That they are part of God's body. These irreligious, sinful, far-off people. That's who he came for. That's who he came to get. That he is intentionally going after them. Intentionally setting aside apostles and missionaries to go find them and speak this gospel to them. And so Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. I mean, do you hear it there over and over and over? Gift, God's grace, his power, that this is the work that God is doing in Paul and through Paul to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And and then Paul, though I am the very least of all the saints, this highlights something I feel like we talk about so often, but Paul says, "Don't, don't be confused. God did not pick me 
because I was the best or the most righteous or the holiest. He didn't pick me because I trusted Jesus the most, because I was the most devout, because I was the most zealous for the cause of the gospel. In other places, he expands this thought here. He says, I'm the least of all the saints. Like, there's all these, there were all these believers, all these Jews in those first few months and years of the church who came to faith in Jesus willingly when they heard the gospel. My response was to kill them. That's who Paul was. That's how far gone Paul was. That's how undeserving Paul was. And he's like, out of everybody (laughs) that God could have picked for this job, for this worldwide work, God picks the guy who deserves it the least. God picks the guy who should never be doing this job. (laughs) And Paul's like, don't ever, just because God's using me this way now, don't ever forget who I was before. Because if you see who I was before, you see how great God's grace really is. You see the type of people that God's willing to save and rescue and use, and then you know he's willing to save and rescue and use you. If Paul's not too far gone, nobody's too far gone. If God will use Paul this way, how might God use you? If this did not disqualify Paul from the grace of God, what would? Nothing. There's nothing in your life that you can point to. There's nothing in your life that you can point to where you could say, I'm so far gone, God won't reach me now. He can't find me here. He can't use me from here. He can't redeem this. He can't bring me back. There's nothing you can say that about. Like it's not, like I'm not just up here saying something week after week when I say, what if God wants to use you to turn the world upside down? What if God wants to use you to draw the nations to himself? What if God wants to use you to spread this gospel in this way? What if God wants to use this church right here that does not deserve it, that that, (laughs) there's nothing about us that makes us special in any way? There's nothing, like we wouldn't point and say, hey, we're the best, we're the holiest, we're we're not. But what if he wants to use us to start churches, to start Bible study groups, to start churches that start churches, to send missionaries, to turn the world upside down just like he did with Paul? What about you or me would keep him from doing that? Nothing. If nothing about Paul kept God from doing that, there's nothing about you. Because it's because of God. It's not because of Paul. It's the gift of God's grace that God chose to do this. So even though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given. That God's grace covered everything about me that made me the least. God's When I was the least, God's grace was enough to cover every lack that I had to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, this is what we were talking about uh, with, with this truth, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So this mystery that we couldn't understand on our own, God calls an apostle, reveals the truth of it to him, and then says, I want you to go share that with everybody. I'm not keeping my mystery hidden. I want everyone to know this. The plan that I have had for all ages. That's what you've been given. The plan of God for all ages. And the call of God, him saying to you, now go make it known to everyone. Make this plain. Say this out loud. Let them hear it. Let them know it. Don't keep it hidden. 
And so God's ways are a mystery to humanity that we cannot understand without him revealing them by the Spirit. And this is why we pray together again. This is why we're going to spend a whole week next week praying together, saying, Jesus, we need you to do things in us that only you can do. Father, we need you to speak to us in ways that help us understand what you're saying and what you want us to do, and we need you to empower us for that work. We need you to do all of it. And we're asking you, and we're trusting you, and we believe when you do it, you do it in us and through us. And so we want to be that. We want that to happen, but we've got to come to you. That's why we're going to pray. Another truth that you want to point out. God's timing is God's timing and not ours. That there was this, this work, this plan that God had before he created the world from eternity past. And he knew how it needed to play out. And, and there's this period of time that you could call it like this preparation for the fullness of what he was going to do in Jesus. And you know, when he sets apart the Jews as his people and he gives them his word in the Old Testament, he speaks through his prophets, all that stuff is part of this work and part of this plan, but the fullness doesn't come until Jesus comes. And, and really one of the ways as you read the New Testament, the way that it understands the Old Testament, it's like God is creating in that 2,000-year period from Abraham to Jesus, God is creating these categories for us where we can understand what he does when he sends Jesus. That we didn't even have the categories to understand the work of God until he created the categories first. You know, through the Old Testament, the temple and the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, all those sort of things, the, the law, the, the priesthood, all of it was creating categories where when Jesus comes and he's the perfect fulfillment of all of that, when he gives us everything we need in every way, that there would be a place for us to understand, oh, that's what that means. That's who he is. That's why we needed this. And so God, he does his time and he takes his time in laying that foundation and creating those categories and building to this moment where we can really see who Jesus is in light of all that, like everything that God was already doing. And that's why it's always so important that we see the whole Bible connected as one big story. You know, not these little individual pieces that we pull out here and there and we think that Abraham's about Abraham and David's about David. It's not. It's all about God and it's all about God revealing himself through Jesus. That everything God does with Abraham is about Jesus. And everything God does with David is about Jesus. And everything God does with Moses is about Jesus. And you won't ever read that section rightly unless you read it in light of who Jesus is and how God reveals himself in Jesus. One more, and then I'll, I'll try to wrap us up. Anything else that really stood out to you? Yeah. All right, all right, verse 10. Yeah, so 
Adam said, God gives us gifts that he intends for us to give away. And the picture here with Paul being that he says over and over, the, the gifts that God gave me, he called me to this ministry by grace, the, the grace that God has given me. There's several ways he uses the phrase. And you think about Paul's story, like how significant that is for Paul, how good it is for Paul. Because Paul, before God rescues him, Paul is an enemy of Jesus. Paul is as lost in arrogance and pride and self-righteousness as anyone could ever be. His heart is as hard against the gospel of Jesus and the things of Jesus as anyone could be. He is a murderer, and a murderer of Christians. He is murdering people for loving Jesus. You cannot be more opposed to Jesus than this. And God reaches down to him in that dark and lost and evil place. And he pulls him out and he rescues him and he saves him by grace. And he transforms him from a persecutor of the church to a preacher for the church. Like, it's just incredible. Like, he goes from the guy who says, I will kill you for talking about Jesus to the guy who says, you'll have to kill me to stop me from talking about Jesus. Like That's the transformation in Paul. That's the power of God's grace. That's the grace that God gives to Paul. And it's everything that Paul could ever need. But Paul was desperately lost. And God's grace is so good for Paul, but it's not just for Paul. That what happens is that when God saves Paul in this way and changes Paul in this way, that God literally has in mind a worldwide work. That what he does in Paul's life is not just about Paul's life. What he does in Paul's life is about what he intends to do in the entire world. That he intends to reach all the nations, all peoples. Like everyone outside the Jewish people, which is everybody else in the entire world, God plans to reach them with his gospel and spread his church into their people groups, into their countries, into their nations, and make them part of his people. And so God, he gives Paul this gift and he gives Paul this grace, but it was never just for Paul. And he intended for it to keep pouring out of Paul and flowing to other people. And then as it flows to those people, it's the same story again. That they would receive this grace of God that they desperately need, and as they're changed by it, it flows out of them to other people. Like, you and I are here today because of what God did through Paul. That the gospel spread, right, from, from where, when it was landlocked in just Israel, right? And it spreads into Asia and Africa and Europe and eventually across the Atlantic, and it comes to North America, like, we're talking over hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of the gospel spreading and the church spreading. You and I sit here because Paul told people about Jesus who had never heard about Jesus before. And those people told people about Jesus who had never heard about Jesus before. And those people told people about Jesus. And disciples made disciples made disciples made disciples. And churches planted churches that planted churches that planted churches. And eventually it got to you and me and somebody told you about Jesus. And that's God's plan. That it wouldn't stop with you what he did for you wasn't just for you. What he did for you wasn't just about you. This is, like you take, take us back to chapter 1 till we got here, and you try to think about all eternity past. 
the infinite, eternal mind of God, the plans and purposes of God, the counsel of his will, when he has looked out and said, I'm going to create, and here's the purpose of everything I do, and here's how I'm going to bring it about, and come to, chapter, to verse 10 right here in chapter 3 right now, and I want you to hear this. Just try to hear it as big and as epic as it really is. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this eternal purpose and plan of God according to the counsel of his will that only he has known, that there was this moment when he's the only one who exists. He's all that there is. And this plan and purpose comes to life purely because of him. Because this is who he is. This is his heart. This is his mind. This is what he intends. And he's brought it about. He's realized it in Jesus. First of all, just see who Jesus is. See how epic Jesus is. That everything God has ever intended from all eternity past is realized in Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God intends. But then the way that he does it in Jesus, I mean, this is just. Through the church. <laughs> when, when you come and gather with the body, like, does it just feel like, hey, this is part of our weekly routine. We come to this location, we sit in these seats for a little while, and I went to church. Like, do you know how tiny that is compared to what God is saying right here? God is saying, hey, there's way more, first of all, there's way more to reality than what you realize. Like the, the physical world that you see, the natural world that you see, that's not all there is. He's like, rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Best way, just to, you've got God, uncreated, he's always been there, nothing made him, nothing created him, he's not dependent on anything, he doesn't come from anything, he is because he is. He is the great I am, self-existent, always been there. And then God creates, and he creates beings in the spiritual realm that we call angels. He creates an entire physical realm, and there's an overlap you know, where the spiritual realm affects the physical realm in a whole lot of ways. But in, with our physical eyes, we don't see what's going on in the spiritual realms. But what we're seeing is that there's this epic story, an epic pur purpose that God has for the spiritual realms. And so these angels, you've got some of these angels that fall and rebel against God. Sometimes we call them demons. Sometimes you just call them fallen angels. But you've got all these spiritual beings. And somehow, for some reason, God's intention in all of history, according to this verse, is that everything that exists in the spiritual realms would recognize the manifold wisdom of God that something would happen and they would look and they would say, look how wise God is. That God would be seen for who he really is in all of his wisdom by every spiritual creature that he's ever created. And this verse says the way that God's going to do that is through the church. This is why you're here. Have you ever come to church and thought, this is my purpose? that the manifold wisdom of God would ring out in the heavenly places. That the reason that it's so important for me to be connected to other believers, for these relationships, for me to be in a community group, living out connection and family and relationship with other believers, is so that the manifold wisdom of God will ring out in the heavenly realms. 
If there's any way today that your view of church could just ratchet up a hundred notches and you would feel how significant it is to be connected to a body and how everything that we do in one another's lives, when we live out the one another's together, when we pray for one another and love one another and serve one another, when we come together to study Scripture together and we speak into each other's lives and we encourage one another and we hold one another accountable, when we, when we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice, like every single way that we allow our lives to be wed together and we live out this, hey, we're one family because of God, we're connected because of Jesus. When you are doing that, your life is plugged into the eternal purpose of God in the heavenly realms. That's why this matters. That's also why, my word, it can't just be an hour or an hour and a half in one seat on Sunday mornings. This is the purpose of all creation. It's certainly the purpose of your whole life. Like, this is why you live. This is why God has claimed you. This is why God has made the church. This is why God's called you to be part of his family, that your life would declare the wisdom and glory of God to angels and demons. That they would look and they would see what God has done in the gospel. That God has taken people who were far from him and dead in their trespasses and sins and he's made them alive in Christ and brought them to himself and drawn them near and made them part of his family. And they would see the wisdom of God in his grace. And then they would look at that family and they would see people who have nothing in common, humanly speaking. And they've been brought together and made one and united in Jesus. And they look at what they share in Jesus and that's greater than everything else that would separate us. And the love of God that God has for them and gives to them starts to flow out of them toward one another. And they would say, look at the wisdom of God in creating his people. Look at the wisdom of God in creating his family. Look at the wisdom of God in reconciliation and restoration and redemption and taking people who were far away and rescuing them and drawing them to himself and then making them one with each other. Like this, this is what God intends for his church. This is what God's doing with his church. And he's offered that to you. He's invited you to be part of that. He's called you to be part of that. He's drawing you toward that. One other thought on this as we wrap up. I asked how often do we come and we think in these terms about the church. And I know it's not very often for us naturally. I think if, if we were to look just at the general goals, focus, direction of the North American church, probably very rarely are we saying, hey, everything we do is it so the manifold wisdom of God will be made known in the heavenly places. Instead, you think about the type of things that we've settled for. The things that we've said are important. The things that we say, hey, if this happens, we'll feel good about ourselves, that this will be success. We get really excited when this happens, when these numbers go up, when this attendance, this giving, our when we can point to our programs and there's more people in them. And listen, all that stuff can contribute to the manifold wisdom of God being made known in the heavenly places. The problem is I think we've disconnected almost everything we do in our practice of church most of the time from this thought. And I want to, right now, I want to give you a hope for your life 
that when this is what's actually going on, like the unseen glory of God in the spiritual realms that your physical eyes can't see it, it may be that the darkest and hardest moments of your life, the moments when you would look with natural eyes from a worldly perspective and you would say, there's nothing good here. This is all brokenness. This is emptiness. This is failure. And in that moment, by faith, you look to Jesus and you say, I still believe you. I trust you. You're worth it. You are worth it all. It may be that your life shouts the manifold wisdom and glory of God louder in the heavenly places in those moments than any other time in your entire life. Don't discount how this changes everything. Like it may be that some of you, you've prayed for your children who are adults now for 40 or 50 years and you see no change in the hardness of their hearts and it's real easy, really, really easy to get discouraged or to think this isn't worth it or just to give up. It's really easy to think unless there's a result that I can see and celebrate, it's not worth it. Well, it may be that God says, no, it's the fact that you keep calling out to me. The fact that you keep believing me. The fact that you know I'm the only answer so you never go anywhere else and you just keep coming to me for the rest of your life. My wisdom and glory will ring out in the heavenly realms all the louder because of that. So don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing him. Don't think that just because you don't see it in this world, just because you can't measure it with some human measuring stick, that it doesn't matter. God has something so much bigger in mind for his people and his church. And sometimes the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly realms is going to line up with things we can see in this life. Sometimes it is. And we will praise him and we will thank him. And I pray that in those moments, the the glare and the glitter of stuff looking good in this life won't blind us to what really matters the most. Right, that, that when things are great and the blessings are flowing and everything's going the way that looks successful, it's easy just to see that and forget about this, to forget about the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly places. So I pray that we won't, that that would always be prompting us to look here and say, may God be praised. May God's wisdom be seen in the way that he's blessing and the things he's doing. And so don't let the glitter and the glare of success and good things blind you to the spiritual reality. And then on the flip side, when none of that's happening and none of it looks good and it all looks like a failure and a mess and brokenness and you keep trusting Jesus, don't let the darkness cast such a shadow that you can't see the manifold wisdom of God in the spiritual realms. The glow of success, the darkness of failure, don't let either one of them blind you to what's really going on. And it's bigger than your life and it's bigger than this world and it's bigger than everything you can see. And somehow, for some reason... In the infinite, eternal mind of God, he's chosen for that to be done through his church. That's why we're here today. That's really why we're here today. You may not even known it, but that's why you're here today. And so the prayer at the end, we're going to spend a lot more time on it next week. But I want you to see, and I know I pointed this out a few weeks ago as we wrap up. He prays for me. He says, because... God is doing such an epic, worldwide, supernatural work in the spiritual realms through the church. Because of that, I'm going to pray for you. 
because my word that works bigger than you are. And so if you've got to pull it off, it's not happening. We're going to ask God to do it because it's a God-sized work. And so he prays, and out of all the things that he could pray, look in verse 16. According to the riches of God's glory, like all the treasures and infinite wealth and value of who he is in his glory, that he will grant to you, and so here he is again, giving you grace from him to you, strength, strengthened with his power through his spirit, in your inner being. So it's really coming to you, but he's making you strong. He's giving you his power for a purpose so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, he's, he has started you here, that he has loved you and he has planted you in his love and you are growing in his love. And now here's why he gives you all this power, that you'll have the strength that he's given you so that you can start to comprehend, that you can start to understand the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. That you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. And a few weeks ago I said, obviously, if you know something that surpasses knowledge, you're not just knowing it in your mind. It surpasses knowledge. This is something you have to experience. This is something you have to live. This is something that you have to encounter as you actually encounter God. That, that as he loves you, you experience his love for you. You know, it's the difference between I can read a book on the Grand Canyon and I can know all the facts about the Grand Canyon, but it'll never be like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and experiencing it. You know it in a different way than Paul says, I want you to know God that way. Like right up against who he is to see how great he is and how glorious he is and how wonderful he is, but specifically, not just that you'd be like, oh, look look how big and great and strong God is. That's not the focus of this prayer. Paul says, I want you to know how much he loves you. I want you to know his love for you. And his love for you is so vast. It's so high and deep and long and wide that unless God gives you his own strength by his spirit, you can't comprehend it. His love for you is more than your mind can believe. It's more than your mind can know. And I wish there was some way, I just wish there was some way to say it and make it true for all of us. That you would walk out today and you would know how God loves you. How deeply he loves you. How steadfastly he loves you. That he looks on you and he sees someone that he has chosen in his own heart and mind from all eternity past. And he's worked out everything in all of history so that Jesus would be the fulfillment and the realization of that love for you. That you would find it in Jesus and know it and be made right with God. That you would feel the approval of your Father looking at you and saying, I accept you in Jesus. I choose you in Jesus. I approve of you in Jesus. I love you. Oh, least of all my people, most unworthy, most sinful, here's my grace to you, my love to you. It doesn't depend on you. It's not because of you. It depends on Him. It's because of Him. And it's never changing. Give thanks to the Lord for He's good. His love endures forever. He has always loved you. You didn't make him love you. You didn't get him to love you. He's always loved you. And he will always love you in Jesus. And if we can ever believe that, 
if by the grace of God and the Spirit of God we start to believe that God loves us that way, it will change everything in our lives. It will set you free from all the things that you chase in the world that can never give to you what you want anyway. It'll set you free from all the things in your heart that control you and that, that you're, you know, I don't admit it to anybody, I don't admit it to myself, but the reason I do this, the reason I do this, the reason I do that is because I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to approve of me. I want somebody to accept me. I feel this pressure. I feel this guilt. I feel this shame. I feel this whatever, and I don't believe people love me. I don't believe God loves me. If you ever know the way that God loves you in Jesus, if you ever know the extent to which he has gone to show you his love in Jesus, and then if you, can ever, if you can ever grasp the thought that his love for you in Jesus is directly tied to his eternal purposes in the spiritual realms for all time, that's how certain it is. That's how guaranteed it is that he loves you on that epic scale. It changes everything. All the power of God unleashed in his people to be his people for his purposes. That's what he has in store for his church. I don't want to settle for us being something else. Like when this is on the table, let's not be something else. And so if you will, if you feel led next week, will you fast and pray with us toward this? Will you start praying those prayers in chapter 1 and chapter 3 every day this week? Somebody told me that he's got a group of six people. They've started praying them together every day. And I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for that. Will you pray those every day this week? Will you fast coming into next Sunday? Let's pray these together next Sunday. And let's just open up ourselves to the thought of God wants to do something so much bigger beyond anything that we can see, ask, or imagine. Let's ask him for that. Let's ask him to lead us into that and show us what that is and whatever it may be. Let it blow up everything we've ever thought. Let it blow up everything we've imagined. Something that only he can do. Something that he's promised to do. Let's believe him in such a way that we ask him for that. And so that's what we're going to be looking at next week. I'm going to pray for us right now. And we're going to worship together. If you would like to come and, and pray down here or pray with somebody, we'll have pastors and elders and wives and staff people available. Um, but let's worship and pray together. Will you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I know that it is bigger than anything I've said today, Father. I just, my words are small and my ability is small. And this truth is so massive. And so I'm thankful that it's time for me to be quiet. And I ask that you will keep speaking and teaching by your spirit that you would open our eyes to who you are and what you're doing through your church and who we should be as your church. Change us by this truth. Change us by your love. Reveal it by your spirit. Help us to see it more and more because you are showing us. Father, just please do this as only you can. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.